um, this black man who was accused of mm-hmm. committing a crime, mm-hmm. and it was anywhere this, anywhere that throughout the book. Okay. And teachers reading that book to students, mm-hmm. what's their role in saying or not saying that word in an academic sense? You want to know my thoughts? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay. Go Welcome back to another episode of the Black is the New Rich podcast. We are on episode 36. And if it's your first time here, we talk about entrepreneurship, financial literacy, and the mindset. Um, Today, we got a very special guest because he has a unique field that he's tapped in. And, you know, sometimes you you don't know what you don't know. So I feel like this subject is very important. But, you know, I don't want to take the spotlight. Can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, yeah, my name is Alex Baddick. I am a lawyer in Peel Region. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Brampton boy. Now I'm a Mississauga man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been running my own practice uh, since I got called to the bar. I became a lawyer in uh, 2018. Um, I'm running this, uh, from my perspective, a rather unique practice. Uh, I only focus or generally focus on education law. Mm-hmm. education law being more of the this broader idea of the industry so you know sports law yeah. health law yeah. these different broad umbrella terms for the industry and the law and legal stuff mm-hmm. legal issues that pop up in it mm-hmm. so education law is the the sector education whether it's kindergarten to higher education um, really trying to just tap into that that market all the legal issues related to school mm-hmm. is what I want to be able to to, to, to bring services for and support. Okay, dope. Yeah. So we're going to talk about um, the education uh, law side of things soon, but I want to know how you got into everything. How, do you, how did you get here today? Mm-hmm. So like, what did you do after school? Did you know that you wanted to become a lawyer um, when you're in high school or middle school? How did, that, how, how did you end up here today? Yeah, yeah. Let me preface all this by saying I come from a family of educators. Oh, <laughs> sick. Okay, it makes sense. My uh, my mom at this point is a superintendent. She was a uh, teacher. My dad, retired teacher, mm-hmm. used to be a science department head. So it runs in the family. It runs with, and my sister is a principal now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, lit. So, yeah, I got this deep uh, connected route to, I think, education. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I never wanted to be a teacher. Mm. It was the last thing on my mind, to be honest. Um, but uh, I was always interested in um, forensic science. I remember being in grade eight, and there was this uh, science fair. And at the same time, um, CSI was out. You remember mm-hmm. watching CSI? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I remember getting this uh, CSI kit where you can do like the the, gre- the black light to get uh, everything to glow in the dark. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember setting up a whole like little display on that, and I was really into it. Uh, grade nine, I took uh, sciences because everyone takes sciences. Grade mm-hmm. nine, ten, still interested in in being a forensic scientist. Mm, interesting. I get to grade eleven. And uh, I have chemistry in my first semester, yeah. bio and physics in my second semester. That's rough. Everyone's telling me, <laughs> Alex, you got it good. Chemistry on its own, yeah. physics and bio, a little bit more manageable together. Yeah. So I'm doing my chemistry class and everything is going over my head. The only reason, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. So you're not doing well. I'm not doing well. Oh, the geez. only reason I passed is because my friend, my boy, who's a doctor now, Guided me through that. I'm pretty sure I cheated okay. a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, after I finished chemistry, I'm like, yeah, I can't do forensic science. That's, yeah, that's, that's not my skill set. Not my like. It's not. It's one thing to uh, not do well at something mm-hmm. and have the motivation and and desire to get better at it. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case for, oh, okay. for this class. So um, 
I tapped into something else, and I've always been a good writer. Mm, interesting. In uh, I remember in grade six, I remember my teacher gave me like some really good comments about like this is like a great story you came up with off the top of your head in grade six. Mm-hmm. So always a good writer. Uh, never graded English class, but just being able to communicate. Okay. So um, after I like did terribly in uh, physics or chemistry, I dropped every science after that. Oh, <laughs> And I started here last year at high school. This was grade 11. Yeah. So, grade um, 12, you didn't take any more sciences. I didn't take any. No, after grade 11, first semester, all science is done. Mm-hmm. So second semester, I remember I started to take um, uh, intro to social psych and anthropology. I think that was in grade 11. Mm-hmm. I did like a, a world religion class. Okay. I did history classes. And I even did one of the more kind of inspiring classes, which is surprising, is a uh, nutrition class. Mm-hmm. One of those cooking classes. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into that class and uh, the teacher was this like D's black guy, very <laughs> masculine. Yeah. Here he is in the apron teaching us how to like cook. clean and cook. Yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. And one of the things I remember learning about in that class, and I'm probably going to go off onto tangents, but uh, this is just one of the lessons I learned at the time. Um, he called it dovetailing. Mm-hmm. And dovetailing is the idea like you have something in the oven or it's baking or cooking or whatever. Yeah. And you have all this dead time this time where you can just Get do something done. else now yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know that the 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 meal is being prepped you can't do anything else it's mm-hmm. just sitting there you gotta wait mm-hmm. but instead of just doing nothing while you wait you do something else uh, interesting yeah, yeah yeah so i'm saying that because it all kind of pulls together and like this long hindsight uh of how i got to where i am today but uh that was one of the lessons i picked up so these courses started to give me like different world views it was a lot different from a science where, like, I'm yeah. learning a fact, I'm knowing it, and yeah. I have to memorize it. These were kind of like... Perspectives. Uh, yeah. Opinions. Exactly. Mm. Inspiration in a sense that, like, that's how the world works. I'm more curious to learn a little bit more about it now. Interesting. Or tap into a different side of um, how I'm viewing the world kind of mm. thing. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I took all those courses. By the end of grade 12, I remember having this uh, teacher who suggested, yeah, look into sociology. Mm-hmm. So um, I looked in sociology, seemed okay. Uh, I went to undergrad for sociology. Okay. And uh, at this point, I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, you can be a sociologist, but that's uh, just education, education, education. Yeah. Um, it's one of those autonomous degrees. And it took me a while to understand what an autonomous degree was. Mm-hmm. But it's one in which it's not filtering you into a particular profession. Okay. For example, um, nursing. Yeah. You go over to a school for nursing. To become a nurse. To, yeah. Okay. okay <laughs> Engineers, yeah. you can likely become an engineer after you complete all those courses. So it filters you into a profession. Sociology wasn't that. Mm-hmm. So here I am in sociology. And what am I to do? Well, there's one of these courses called experiential learning. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that you have your courses, but then you're applying it to real world experiences. Mm-hmm. So you had to volunteer in the community mm-hmm. and kind of apply what you've learned to that volunteer experience. Okay. So uh, I think this is second year now, I'm in sociology still, and I decide to volunteer at a legal clinic. Mm. And this is more so the first. Yeah. Okay. This was more so like the idea of um, volunteering because I needed to get like, I I was always into volunteering. Yeah. But now it was like 
take what I'm learning and apply it to the this uh, experience. And that mm-hmm. was really cool for me because sociology, what was I going to do with it practically? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And when I went to this legal clinic in Hamilton, um, shout out to them, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> they... Um, I don't know if you know this, but Hamilton has a disproportionately high disability rate in not only the province, but in Canada. Oh, wow. No, yeah, I know. It's like knew. the disability capital okay. at the time, at least, yeah. uh, of the country and the province. So what I want at the time, what I was doing is trying to figure out from a sociological perspective, like my analysis was like by no means an academic study. Yeah. But from the, the things that I've learned, how am I going to apply that to this experience where the legal clinic is supporting people who are applying for what's called Ontario Disability Support Program. Uh-huh. And you're thinking like that then. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so the legal clinic is helping these people, but why do why are there so many people needing this help? Mm-hmm. What's the, the root of place? it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And let me just say that the sociology is the the, the study of groups. Mm-hmm. So it's understanding, and this is a great quote um, I learned about uh, the perspective of sociology, individual issues are a reflection of social problems. Okay. So when we think about uh, disability, this individual is coming to the legal clinic for ODSP support. Mm-hmm. They're appealing a, a disability decision by the government. Mm-hmm. Um why is it that this individual has found themselves in a circumstance where either they have a disability and need support mm-hmm. or why are they unable to get access to that support? Yeah. Either way, some people like to frame it as an individual problem, but sociology kind of reminds us like, no, these are grander, bigger problems than just the individual. Yeah. There's a reason why they found themselves in that circumstance. Yeah. So um, that... This is basically leading up to me saying this is how I found law. This is how I was curious or interested in the idea of going into into law. Mm-hmm. The the actual journey now to like becoming a lawyer was uh, after that. I remember volunteering at the legal clinic and getting a job at this personal injury law firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not gonna say what the firm was, but I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna say I hated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated it. And I remember going every day into the summer. I was working there in the summer and volunteering in the summer as well. Mm -hmm. I was going into that uh, uh, personal injury firm every day. Hated it. I was getting paid well. Yeah. But I hated it. It wasn't your passion. No. I didn't know if it was just a passion, but also like going into the legal clinic every day, I enjoyed it. I feel like I understood the stories behind the clients. I understood that the the bigger purpose uh-huh, uh-huh. i remember uh reading through one of the files one day and uh I, I believe one of the issues was that we were trying to support this individual get money so they can buy a boat mm-hmm. and at the same time i was uh volunteering at a legal clinic yeah speaking to people who were entrepreneurs themselves super mm-hmm. successful mm-hmm. one day they have an accident and now their whole life is falling apart and they rely on the government support just to be able to eat sleep and, and and live yeah and they can't even get access to that so the issues that i'm working for completely different night yeah, and day yeah, like super privileged yeah and the other ones like they need help right yeah, mm-hmm. yeah 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 and plenty of different reasons why people might need a personal injury law firm but uh at the time that experience was like i see a lot more value for myself in the um, uh, at least in legal aid. True. So at this time, I was like, I really want to be a legal aid lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to fast forward it to law school now. I went to England mm-hmm. to study law. Oh, you're the second person on here that oh, no, did I... it in the UK. Uh, Courtney, he did uh, 
uh, his um, law school in UK too. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah did yeah. he did he stay there as well? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that was a dope experience. I was um, I went uh, in twenty. 14 to 2016 mm-hmm. and uh if you know jamaicans you know a lot of jamaicans are there as well right yeah of course <laughs> my grandma's over there too. oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah a lot of my family are, are over there uh, on my dad's side so it was a great opportunity to um to learn and when we're talking about the idea of dovetailing mm-hmm. this is one of the principles i remember one of the reasons why i decided to go to law school abroad is whether I do it in Canada or abroad, I'm going to have to do law school. Mm-hmm. There's that time that has to be dedicated to law yeah, school. no matter what. No matter what. Mm-hmm. So it's in the oven, it's baking. Mm-hmm. How, what am I going to do with that time while I'm in law school? Mm. How am I going to make a, take advantage of the rest of my time while I'm in law school? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be there, but what, what else can I do now on top of it? Mm-hmm. One of those things that was important to me was uh, like seeing family. Mm-hmm. Family I've never met before. In the UK. In the UK, okay, exactly. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole different culture as well. Never been abroad. So all these different things are just like, yes, while it's baking, let me get this life experience as well. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best decisions to go to the UK because uh, they offered a few things that opportunities here wouldn't have provided me. One of those things was uh, this pro bono initiative, and pro bono is um, free legal work. Mm-hmm. Um one of the, these projects was called the School Exclusions Project. Mm. And so that's another like uh, important piece to why you're here. I, oh, yeah, I exactly. see the lead up. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So I'm in England looking for new opportunities I couldn't have gotten in Canada. Mm-hmm. One of those is to be able to, as a law student literally be the advocate for that family like represent them oh right like like no no training wheels kind of thing okay, no one that's no one sick, that's <laughs> yeah dope. okay late yeah I, and it, it's always such a in hindsight looking back on things and seeing the full circle moment because the first case i had was a jamaican family uh and he was a little boy accused of like some sexual violence against another student they put him in jail he was like Probably in grade five or something like that. Grade five. Yeah, yeah, grade school, definitely grade school. It was, it was, facts are wild. Yeah. And uh, he got excluded, which is the same thing as an expulsion. Here. Okay. So kicked out of school, and my task was to advocate for him to get back into the school. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of details, but sad story is that I wasn't successful. Oh, really? I know I, it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and in hindsight as so well. So he had like a what a prosecutor. So they, I, I wasn't familiar with the criminal side of things. Okay. I just know he went to, I don't think he got charged with anything. Okay. I think they were just taking um, the situation really seriously and put him in jail, like to scare him. But that's, come on, guys. And yeah. It, it's, yeah. We can, we can talk all about that <laughs> yeah. as well. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to win that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, to some extent, that I think really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that a couple things. The first, like, I didn't know this. I didn't know people did this. I didn't yeah. know lawyers represented students who were expelled, suspended, whatever the case yeah. is. And had I not gone to England, I don't think I would have had exposure to that area of law. Mm-hmm. The second thing was I didn't know that uh, uh, the skills that I needed to develop, develop were not this idea of, and it's called sharp practice. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was... Um, with the family and with the the principal, I was being very standoffish. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I remember I had my legs crossed and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and trying to kind of outsmart them. Mm-hmm. And again, in hindsight, everything's like, no, that's not how you 
successfully argue a point, mm-hmm. you need to appreciate that you're working with this other person to resolve a matter. Oh, that's a different perspective. Very change. different perspective. Okay, interesting. And a lot of people think lawyers and lawyering is about being sharp and being very, like, harsh. Like, I'm right. I'm right, you're, you're wrong. wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is how you should look at This is what you should do. Mm-hmm. And you're only going to kind of create a bigger gap between um, your position and the other person's position. Uh, but you, the last thing you want is the other party to be ingrained in their position. Mm-hmm. position. So that experience taught me a, f- a few different things. Um, yeah, finished law school, come back to Canada. And I'm like, where am I going to be able to do this? Yes. I liked this yeah, yeah, area yeah, of law. Yeah. Remember, I did personal injury. I hated it. Yeah. Uh, I liked the legal clinic system. Yeah. But I wasn't super interested in those particular areas of law. Yeah. Um, and while I was in England, a lot of people were doing the corporate business stuff. Mm-hmm. wasn't me. Mm-hmm. The only piece of law that I was like, I could do this was that school stuff. Yeah, because you maybe because you lost, you, <laughs> it weighed on you. It, it, it might have been that. Might have been the fact that I have parents that are teachers. Yeah. Might have been the fact that I was oh, a, yeah, a black boy and this was a situation where there's a lot more control there as well. Mm-hmm. The ability to advocate for a family and understand and appreciate um, issues of human rights, discrimination, yeah. things like that. I, I, I wish I understood that a little bit better at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, knowing what I know now, I think that's one of the. S- one of the domains where I think there is power for change, mm-hmm. um, being able to advocate these positions in school. I think these. Uh, I think there are many people who are open to hearing things like that, mm-hmm. wanting to do better in school. Yeah. So, for like I said, all those different reasons, I was attracted to this area of law. Come back, trying to find out where am I going to do this. Yeah. And I found a legal clinic that specialized in supporting young people. From age five to twenty-five, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, between uh, for yeah, basically that age gap and diverse areas law of areas of law, including education law. Oh, and they sick. served everyone across the province. So yeah. I'm like, I, I need, need to get there. I need to get into that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the story behind that is actually pretty interesting because they didn't have a job posting. Mm-hmm. What I actually did was I messaged them and said, I want to work for you, and I'll do it for free if I have to. <sighs> <laughs> Big. Why do you think that was important? I was reading a book called Mastery at the time. Have you mm-hmm. heard of it? No. Um, is it by Robert Green? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I like. I've, I'm reading uh, Laws of Human Nature right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So mastery um, is basically about how to master your craft, mm-hmm. and there the book is divided into different segments of uh, like mastering your craft. And mm-hmm. the, one of the first stages is the apprenticeship stage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it spoke to me, but one of the bigger themes at the time to me was uh, value the experience over the money. Interesting. At the time, and let me say that uh, I'm coming from a background, super privileged. I had a lot of opportunities where I didn't need to rely on, like, how am I going to eat the next day or am I going to sleep? So the ability to even say I can work for you for free is definitely something that not everyone can do. Mm-hmm. But understanding my social situation, my privilege allowed me to be able to exploit that. Mm, so, makes sense. Because so, you weren't necessarily in like survival mode. Exactly. Okay, yeah. I was sense. just focused on how am I going to get to where I want to be in terms of being a lawyer? Yeah. How am I going to do that the path of least resistance? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to get to the place, that, the exact place I want to be? Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to like break down barriers to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, have you read the book uh, The Third Door? No, by who? I'm not sure. 
I think his name starts with Alex and his last name is Bennyan or something like that. Okay. I might be wrong. Uh, but the third door is this idea that uh, people consider like a club. Uh-huh. So you got, you're just pulling up to the club and there's a long line, long yeah. line of people. You see one guy cop out a limo, walk up to the, mm-hmm. the bouncer, like say his name or yeah, yeah. give whatever. Gets right in. <laughs> gets right in. That's the first door. Yeah. It's this idea that that door is for a select few with privileged opportunities to be able to just walk into that opportunity. Mm-hmm. The second door is that long line of people. You're going to have to wait in that line. It's going to take you some time. Yeah. You're going to have to play those games. But in. that's the second door. It might take you a long time, but that's the door that everyone else goes through. Mm-hmm. So those, those are the two doors. But there's always a third door, and people never really see the third door. But the third door is in the back. It's in the back. You have to jump over the garbage bin, go through like some bushes, yeah. find that small door or a small window and crawl through that window, walk through the, the chef's area, mm-hmm. and then you get into the club. Mm-hmm. You have to do a lot more. Hoops. A lot more in terms of crawling through the hoops, doing mm-hmm. whatever, just to get to that opportunity. But yeah. it's there. Mm-hmm. You don't have necessarily have to have the privilege and you don't necessarily have to wait and, and just uh kind of wait your turn wait your turn yeah exactly if you want to work for it there's that third door it's going to be harder a lot more things to get through but the third door is there Uh, so i have all these ideas going through my mind about what i need to do to get to where i want to be mm -hmm. so in terms of the apprenticeship stage i want that experience i don't care about the money yeah how am i getting to get that experience in this circumstance well they don't have that position posted um they don't necessarily have the funding right now for it but let me see how I can make sure I can get into that position. Mm-hmm. So that was it. I uh, was able to secure the the position, and uh, I was there for ten months as a part of what's called the articling period. It's an apprenticeship, basically. Mm-hmm. So I did it. Learned a lot of dope skills. Um, still networking with people who are in this area of law that I just grew, grew to appreciate a lot more. And. Uh, yeah, after that, I, I got called to the bar and Jeez, decided and you are. <laughs> all, all this experience, let me open up shop. There's yeah. no one else doing this as a as a niche practice. Yes. In fact, I was at the legal clinic, and what I noticed was um, a lot of people who wanted the education service mm-hmm. fell into one of several categories. Either you qualified for the services because your income was low enough, mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, or you could afford... Uh, to pay your own lawyer, you called, mm. but you're like, uh, you found out that you didn't meet the eligibility criteria, but we referred you to another person who was able to take it on because mm-hmm. you have the resources to do so. But then there was a group of people who didn't qualify for um, the services because they just made too much, mm-hmm. but they didn't have enough expendable resources to pay for that lawyer. Mm-hmm. So you have that this kind of middle category of people who need that legal support for their family in this education system, mm-hmm. but can access the the government support and they don't have the resources to get the private support uh, so who's going to be there and i found i figured out let me create that there's an mm, opportunity there mm, interesting so that's a long-winded uh, story about <laughs> <laughs> how you got here today how, how i got here today yeah. okay because even like doing research for this um episode like like um you're the first person that i know that was in education i was like what is that like yeah. you know what what do they do so for the, like the regular person who either like has children at home what what types of issues that they may um come across that they they can be like okay you know what i i need an education lawyer yeah 
what what are some of those issues? Were you ever suspended at school? Yes. I mean, no, no. Was I? No, personally, no, no. No, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For so that's the like the first thing I started with was suspension and expulsions. Okay. So um, when it comes to school, uh, public school at least, there's a yeah. difference between um, the impacts of a suspension or expulsion in a public school versus a private school. Mm-hmm. In a public education system like Ontario, you have a lot of uh, protections. Uh, these protections um, are either in statute, yeah. meaning legislation, the Education Act, okay. or they are kind of common law ideas of what's called procedural fairness. Mm-hmm. So meaning you have to get notice of your suspension. You have to know like what, what were the allegations and the opportunity to respond to that. Okay. Things like that. Um, so that's one of the areas of law that I support families with. Um, if we're talking about higher education, mm-hmm. some students have for example, been accused of cheating. Uh, but the interesting thing when it comes to the idea of discipline, because yeah. suspensions and expulsions are discipline as well, yeah. you have to appreciate that there are two things that you need to consider, the, the, the organization or school. The first is progressive discipline. Mm-hmm. Your first offense should be treated very different from your fifth offense. Facts. Yeah. So if this is my first time getting caught cheating in university... Why are you getting expelled? I shouldn't, you give me the benefit of the doubt. Let me be able to show you I won't do this again or I learned. Yeah. The other factor is a mitigating factor or mitigating factors. So mitigating is the idea that uh, it kind of chopped, you did it. You might acknowledge that this happened. Mm -hmm. But when you mitigate, you add mitigating factors, you suggest that the penalty shouldn't be as great because you should consider all these other things surrounding the context of it. Okay. For example, um, if I had a student who was uh, who would acknowledge that she cheated, yes, yeah. I did do whatever. But at the time, I was I had a lot of mental health mm-hmm. uh, uh, issues at the time. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with a lot. I was coping with either my my family so had COVID or, or something yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. All these things that definitely give you a it, it distinguishes it from like it clouds your judgment kind of thing. It, it, it distinguishes it from me saying you cheated, you're a bad person, and. Yeah, you cheated, but you had a lot going on. And these are some of the reasons why you may have made such a poor judgment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in the sense that um, I did cheat, but you have to understand that I wasn't in my right frame of mind. And had I been in my right frame of mind, which might have been outside of my control, I wouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. So um, when it comes to academic appeals, my role is to try and figure out what are those progressive discipline kind of principles that could be applied or mitigating factors that reduce the penalty. Mm-hmm. You might say you didn't do it and that's one thing to deny the allegation and then we prove you didn't do it. Yeah. But in a lot of circumstances is the person acknowledges they did wrong. Yeah. But the question is why is it so harsh? Yeah. Or at the very least bring my penalty down. Okay. Yeah. So um, going back to like the suspension thing, right? Let's say like I'm a parent and my child is suspended and they go to the principal Right. And how do they get uh, from the principal to you? Like what, what would click there? Yeah. And this is the unfortunate reality in Ontario's education system is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, that, exactly. That, cause <laughs> that, that, that was like the whole thing, like leading up to this podcast. Yeah. I was like, how do they get to you? hundred percent. And it's the ignorance that I think institutionally, I'm not saying any individual within the school system mm-hmm. uh, deliberately does this, but institutionally, there certainly is this desire to not let people appreciate their rights and yes. responsibilities. Okay. Had you been aware that, for example, there's a legal clinic that you can call up and get free advice for how to deal with your suspension, mm-hmm. I'm sure many more people would be, 
using it and advocating 100%. against it. Um, there's this organization called Empowerment Squared in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I worked with them uh, a couple of years ago, and we did what's called the Hamilton Education Law Program. The idea about that was to equip people with the knowledge of this these education law issues. Mm-hmm. So we talked about, and we created like uh, pamphlets, and uh, there's a legal clinic in Toronto that has all these pamphlets as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that you should be informed about what what, what are the rights related to special education? Mm-hmm. What are your rights if your child is bullied or harassed, yeah. suspended or expelled? Or um, uh, attendance rights, for example. Mm-hmm. All these different things most people aren't aware of. So if you're not aware of it, you don't know how you can appeal. Seek help. He, uh, seek help even, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you don't even know how to um, contact a person to learn more about it, yeah. uh, you might have to rely on yourself. And if I'm a parent working my full-time job... That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about the law. I don't know yeah. anything about the, the law that you're referring to when you suspended my, my child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the expectation that I should be able to firstly catch up on all this and be able to make a, a coherent argument about it, mm-hmm. then find the time to meet with you and have all these conversations, mm-hmm. and then appeal it if it's not successful, mm-hmm. is just such a burden on people who quite frankly, have a lot more things to worry about than than, than this. And it's very important to uh, prevent a suspension or expulsion. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of life, I can fully appreciate if you need to go to that job to put food on your family's table yeah. and you can't worry about that. 100%. So, so that's a huge barrier. And it, it's really reduced to the idea that um, families aren't aware. But mm-hmm. the reason they aren't aware is because the institution of education in Ontario doesn't uh, help families appreciate those rights. Okay, so off the top of my head, I got a, I got a little solution for you. <laughs> so I, I know you're not super big on like social media like that, right? And um, so what came to my mind was, I, obviously I know you're probably super busy, but even like getting these messages out, I believe like maybe how about utilizing your social media in ways that you can be like, you know, make little videos and be like, if you're going through this or if your kid's going through this, da 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 like, you know, kind of give them like some value that way. Yeah, what, do you, yeah. what do you think about that? People like you, Corey, inspire me to do that. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I j- legit just bought like a light. I just yes, bought, like, exactly. That, uh, okay, so just talking stand. head videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's really and a lot of people are really good at making content. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy for me to sit here and have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. It's harder for me to say that, what, what do, what do people want to hear. We'll talk. <laughs> I'll teach you how to make con- honestly I'll, endless content. I'll teach yeah. you honestly because obviously that's what we uh, do good at. Yeah, so yeah. I can definitely teach you how to make content because I believe that you there's a, a you're in a niche market where if you just um, provide the information to people yeah. it'll go viral. Like for example, um, there was a guy that I follow. Like I don't have kids, but I still follow him. He taught his two year old boy how to read. Oh yes, two. and he yes two Damn. two and fluent too yeah yeah pretty fluent for a two year old. And he teaches you, know, you how to do that. He teaches you how to do that, ah. right? And that's just from talking head videos. And then he he, he must have like three hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Oh now, yeah, yeah. You know, but just uh, like if he never uh, if he was never creating content, yeah, who's gonna who's gonna know? Who's gonna know? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like I said, like it's the people like you that that are doing this that inspire me, and certainly. Um, I think the first step in terms of getting the stuff, mm-hmm. the next step is motivation to actually yeah, do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, dope. We'll talk off camera about yeah. that. But 
in doing like research for this episode, uh, you gave me a couple articles to look at, right? And the one of them, I have it right here. It's really stuck out to me, and I want to read the title of it. It's um, Toronto students who cut class shouldn't end up in court. And the gist of it was skipping school can lead to fines, probation, and even imprisonment. Mm. That was shocking to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And also another thing that uh, uh, stood out to me was uh, the Toronto District School Board had 167 cases in court in 2015. Mm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I mentioned that I was at this legal clinic where they supported young people uh, in education issues. It was in Toronto. And uh, one of those issues was, the uh, it fell under these large buckets, but this bucket was attendance rights. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to attendance, you have the right to attend a school and from uh, ages, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but like 5 to 18, unless a bunch of exceptions. Mm-hmm. But you also have the responsibility to also attend school. Define that. So you have the right in Ontario to, to, to be school. able to get, go to school and get an education. But you have to go to school because your responsibility. The responsibility is also that you must be in school. Unless, and there's a number of exceptions to this, but if you're between ages of 6 and 18 in Ontario, legally you're required to be in school. And, oh, it's a legal uh, thing. It's a legal thing. The Education okay. Act okay. states that uh, between that uh, those ages. Unless uh, either you get your Ontario Secondary School Diploma early, mm-hmm. you, then you're once you get that, you don't have to be yeah. in school anymore. Okay. Or you have reached a certain age and at that point you're in control of your education mm-hmm. or um and it's not also not necessarily an idea uh, the idea of not um uh, of having to go to school but also the idea of consequences mm-hmm. so in theory uh if you kept your child at home what's going to happen mm-hmm. well uh between the peer, uh, some ages and i don't have those ages right away you might be able to be fined for that oh okay and then to take it a step further between certain ages, and I, again, don't recall off the top of my head, the parent gets fined. Mm-hmm. But between some other periods of ages, you as a student can get fined and, and, and penalized. So, so you have to understand that it's first a ticket. It's more of a ticket. Okay. A provincial offense uh, is, um, you know, when you get like a parking ticket or something like that. Yeah. There's this statute called the Provincial Offenses Act. And these are things that you, it's, a, it's called a quasi-criminal um, code okay. uh, or quasi-criminal law. So it's not criminal in the sense that you can go to jail or lose your rights or things like that. It's the idea that these are fines and penalties that you're imposed that are p- imposed on you. Mm-hmm. So the idea of truancy or um, skipping school. Truancy is missing school, or yeah, okay. yeah. So not not going to school or not attending school, skipping school for an illegitimate reason. Mm-hmm. So you cannot go to school because you're sick, maybe a holiday. Yeah. Um, Let's say I just want to skip and uh, stay at home, play like video games for a second. For and uh, that's truancy. It wouldn't be a legal reason to skip school. Mm-hmm. So truancy would be yeah, not attending school when you're supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you can get fined for that, and there. Let me say that there are a bunch of different, I guess, nuances to all this. Yeah. Because nothing is ever black and white when it comes to law. Ah, true. Um, and even when we think about when does a penalty arise, it's not necessarily right away that you get a ticket or mm-hmm. you get a fine. Mm-hmm. So in the case of um, Toronto schools, my understanding at the time is that you might have a student who doesn't attend school for some time. Mm-hmm. Of course, the teachers in the school get concerned. Uh, they contact the parents trying to figure out why at some point it doesn't, uh, resolve. Mm-hmm. So they escalate it. Okay. And 
and I, I don't want to speak for the TDSB and I don't know too many details about it, but I believe they had some uh, kind of truancy officers or people maybe akin to like social workers mm. who would look into like the Like keeping reason. track of certain students kind of thing? Yeah, so you have kids with higher needs and uh, not like uh, necessarily related to academics, but mm. like maybe some social needs. Mm. And if a student isn't at school, you might want to have your social worker or whoever's uh, responsible for that look into why. Mm. is Are they okay at home? Mm. Like is something going on? So uh, my understanding is that they might try to work with the family to get the child back in. Mm -hmm. But if that doesn't work, then they can refer it to um, the, you can give a ticket and that ticket may require you to go to court. So in Toronto, they actually had a court and like the criminal courts, Ontario Court of Justice, they had a whole section dedicated on one day of the week or one day of the month maybe to truancy court where they would only hear kids uh, young, usually high school students mm -hmm. that were um, truant, not going to school, mm -hmm. not even after interventions, didn't didn't go back. So you have these students who are now at the court speaking to a judge, and the judge basically uh, set some conditions for them: you must go to school mm -hmm. or else. And they still didn't. So yes, yeah, so now you get a fine. The yeah. judge gives you an order, a direction, and you mu must comply with that. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue with this is when it comes to the Provincial Offenses Act, it you can be penalized for not following a court order. Mm -hmm. And one of the penalties for not following a court order is to be put in jail. Mm. So, I believe so that's no gray area, though. It, it, so it, that's kind of it sounds a little black and white. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think it's the idea that me skipping school doesn't mean I'm going to jail. Yes, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of things that have to have occurred yeah. for that student in that article to have wound up in jail. But okay. the issue is in itself, why is it that a student who skips school ultimately could end up in jail? So then it goes back to one of your first points that you made by getting into law is like about the, it's the environment, it could be the environment. Yeah, 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 100%, 100%. The idea that a student um, could end up in jail because of skipping school isn't because they're inherently criminal. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that we've, we're, we're living in an environment where circumstances could be created for this person to end up in jail because they were uh, skipping school. It doesn't make any sense. Or at least today, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Mm -hmm. Because there might have been some social purpose uh, 100 years ago for mm -hmm. why you would want to make sure kids were in school, not uh, truant, mm -hmm. for whatever reason that... I maybe couldn't justify it at that time either. Mm -hmm. But uh, today, we understand that there are probably a million different reasons why a kid isn't going to school. Exactly. And uh, I remember one case specifically where this child just had such deep-seated anxiety. Mm -hmm. Why he couldn't get it? Yeah, my man, literally, he would uh, uh, leave his house, tell his mom he was going, mm -hmm. wait at the end of the driveway until she left, mm -hmm. go back into school and not go, uh, go back in the house and not go to school. Mm -hmm. The mom had no idea this kid was doing this for, like, weeks at a time. Yeah. So uh, it finally came out that, like, he was just, I can't go. Mm -hmm. Too anxious. Like, I legit get sick going there mm -hmm. uh, because of the anxiety. Arguably, and this is why it's good to be able to appreciate your, your rights in the system as well, because one of the exemptions to uh, having to must mandatory attendance at school is if you're sick. Mm -hmm. If you have a medical condition, you can be exempt from school. Mm -hmm. And in, in that case, arguably, he had mm -hmm. a medical condition, yeah. so he wasn't being truant. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So even uh, going along in the article, uh, I, I wrote down some points here. Like, 
issue like reasons for kids that you know that um that would be like let, what i want to say here reasons for kids not going to school like it could be like their environment like let's say they were in a poverty stricken like environment and now uh they had to work 100 percent. yeah and the idea and this is why it's so it's unfortunate that the school system doesn't actively share with you the range of possibilities available mm-hmm. now i'm talking about just your legal rights but possibilities because the practical reality is not everyone can work with the the timelines of school mm-hmm. the day-to-day like show up at nine o'clock leave by three o'clock and and just make your life fit within that mm-hmm. to your point there are students who have much larger responsibilities within their household than exactly. the average child. Mm-hmm. So there are some kids who have to go to work mm-hmm. to help support their family. Mm-hmm. And the typical the the typical kind of school day that you and I might have went to might not have been conducive to their kind of lifestyle. Mm. But the important thing to know is when it comes to school boards, they offer many different types of educational programming. Okay. So in some circumstances, you have schools where, or in some school boards, uh, I'd be surprised if not most at this point, but you have the ability to like enter a program where you get all your coursework, but you have much more flexible timelines in terms of going into school or yeah. completing assignments and things like that. Mm. So to your point, yeah, there are plenty of students who don't have uh, the ability to to not be truant okay. or not skip school. Okay. But the idea is you need to be able to get your education. Uh-huh. So how are you going to get that responsibility? Education? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's right. Not, it, it makes more sense to me now hearing that um, like education is like your, responsi- your responsibility. Yeah. So now when these kids are going through the system and they're coming across these type of issues, you're advocating for them? Yeah, so um, broadly speaking, my my practice has this goal to support all stakeholders in Ontario's education system. Can you break that down? Like stakeholders meaning? Yeah, you have parents, you have students, you have teachers, you have administrators, you have school board trustees, Mm -hmm. you have the organization itself, you have uh, even the person who doesn't have a child but lives in the community. Mm -hmm. The idea that um, education is only uh, for the student or only affects a student or their parent Mm -hmm. is a very narrow view view of education itself Mm -hmm. or or the possibilities of the institution of education. Mm -hmm. We have schools, we have buildings, and those buildings are resources for communities as well. Mm -hmm. So the reason I'm saying I support all stakeholders is because I think to some degree, every person in Ontario has a stake in our education system. Yes. And... Uh, my role is to support you to create or enhance that experience in the education system mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. And the way I do that is by individually addressing these issues, but acknowledging that there's a broader broader pattern of problems and issues that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So you come to me with something new. It now informs me that there's a larger problem here as well. Mm-hmm. That And you want to get to the root of it. I want to get to the root of it. I want to be familiar with it because I'm also help uh, supporting and assisting uh, the teachers, the administrators, the people on the other side of the table okay. of you um, in this particular matter. Mm-hmm. And by me being able to appreciate and understand the issues you're facing, mm-hmm. I can now go and have conversations with them when I'm working with them to say, well, this is the consequence of that decision or mm-hmm. this needs to be addressed. Okay. Yeah. So... 
you, obviously you grew up um, with teachers all around you, and so and I have such a I have I'm on the fence about the education system. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's pretty fair. Yeah. So I think now, like for example, like school wasn't for me, mm-hmm. and I would consider myself now such a active learn uh, like active yeah, learner, yeah, and yeah. I'm so curious and I love to learn. But going through the school system, like it can affect like your confidence by mm-hmm. grades. Um, I just felt like it wasn't for me. I was diagnosed with ADHD yeah, early, yeah. so it was, a, it was a difficult task to stay in class and yeah, listen yeah. to a teacher for three hours, right? And then even hearing now, like for example, like like your degree is like a four year degree, yeah. but today information is moving so fast. But so by the time you come out of that four year degrees, information could have changed already. Yeah, yeah. So what do you feel about that? Well, yeah, things are always changing. One of the important things. Um, within professions that are, especially ones that are regulated, mm-hmm. you have a professional obligation mm-hmm. to always be learning. Okay. So true. one of my obligations as a, a lawyer is to complete uh, professional development every year at mm-hmm. a certain amount of hours and things so like that. So you're keeping up with the time. I, I have to. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. have to. But more importantly, my clients and the people I work with keep me updated in terms of what the new issues are that are ongoing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And while I don't dig into the substance of education, I agree in many ways, like, completely flawed yeah i understand that the way in which we are able to even learn in a school can be significantly impacted by like that racist teacher or yes (laughs) or uh or or like the school board trustees that aren't uh equipping us with policies Mm. where we could do better or things Mm. like that so um yeah in in the Education is really interesting because there's always a new issue going on. One of the things that I'm particularly interested in right now is the idea of, let me know your thoughts about this. Yes. <laughs> Do you ever remember, did you read or have to read the To Kill a Mockingbird in school? I did, but I don't remember it. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. They said the N-word in that book. Interesting. I remember what I had What was the a, context? Uh, like, it was just like uh, like Jim Crow era. Oh, okay, they, okay. They, yeah. like, the, the book is ultimately about um, this black man who was accused of mm-hmm. committing a crime. Mm-hmm. And it was N-word this, N-word that throughout the book. Okay. And teachers reading that book to students, mm-hmm. what's their role in saying or not saying that word in an academic sense? You want to know my thoughts? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, in the context of the book... Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, like, if I was, like, uh, of another color where that mm. word was forbidden, I don't necessarily feel like I'd be comfortable saying the word, mm. but I would have an abbreviation, like, the N-word. Right. Like, right, reading, right, right. if I had to read it or something like that, uh, something, 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 N-word. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I would explain, but this was not the N-word that you hear in music. This is the hard, hard E-R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I would explain it, like, if yeah. I was, like, just to, like, not save my butt, but, like, just to be respectful still but i do want them to get the context of how it was said because i think that's important yeah in terms of the book well you bring up a lot of good points that many teachers uh don't appreciate so the first is yeah like if i'm a a white person reading this book i don't know if i'd feel comfortable to say the whole word with a hard hard er at the end Mm -hmm. but some people do Mm -hmm. and the issue is that and i remember a teacher of mine doing that and in hindsight, now I understand why I felt uncomfortable with mm-hmm. it, um, but I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, all these other white kids didn't necessarily understand. I I don't think they would have felt the same way I felt if I just heard 
like one of being one of a couple of black kids in the room hearing the n-word said out true, loud true. Uh, they probably don't get why i feel kind of a visceral reaction to it mm-hmm. um but the idea that you wouldn't want to have a person like me feel that way mm-hmm. is a huge consideration that many teachers don't think about mm. and it's one of the uh the one of the reasons why this is an interesting issue today is is this an academic thing where you can kind of protect it with this idea that it's all in the spirit of learning. Mm-hmm. Or even if one kid feels uncomfortable, we need to take that word out. I, I, I don't think it's a black or white thing. I think mm-hmm. it's a, a, a learning as you go thing. Because like I said, like But I, what what's so why should I be harmed for you to learn? So for example, that's why I don't think it's black and white, only because like I think there's ways around it. Like if you're offended, um I feel like we have to come to solutions that we can still tell this story, mm-hmm. but respect you. So one of the questions is, why are we even telling stories where you have the N-word in it? Because it's a part of our history. Whose history? Uh, I would say... Why can't I learn about my history without having that uh, degradation to to okay. my people? Okay, so so here's... Okay, we can go into education. <laughs> so this is the one problem I do have with yeah. the education system. Yeah. Because I feel like it teaches us that uh, um, being black started with slavery. Right, and right. And I hate that. Right, right. Yeah. So why are we introducing books where... So I don't yeah. like that. that yeah, I, yeah, I feel yeah. like it's a little bit of a separate issue, but I... No, I don't think it is. And it comes back to the, uh, the case where... Why do we have? Uh, why do we have to have a policy where we have um, to learn about uh, slavery, or like, why are we putting people in positions where you would have to say or hear this word when there's so many other things to that teach we can about. teach? Yeah, and teach. I agree with yeah. that. I hundred percent agree with that because ultimately, I it's a reminder mm-hmm. of um, being less than, and I don't like that. I don't yeah, like yeah, teaching yeah. that to kids. Yeah. Because why aren't we hearing about? Uh, uh, excuse me if I forget his na- uh, say his name wrong. Uh, uh, Munso Munsu Mensa, which is like the yeah. uh, most the richest black man to ever live. Right, right. right. We don't hear. We never hear yeah, about yeah, him yeah, exactly. and his story. But yet we're teaching about uh, people that were whipped, um, yeah. slavery, all this stuff. Like you know, like that's my issue yeah. with what's being taught in the schools. Does yeah. that make sense? No, it, does, it completely makes sense. And let's take it to a different level. Even in uh, uh, universities, I believe, mm-hmm. University of Ottawa, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, there was a professor who used the N-word, hard ER, mm-hmm. and basically um, contextualized it in the sense that this is academic freedom. We're here to discuss the... Uh, Tell that to Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But it's the idea that why does my learning have to... Why does anyone's learning in this classroom that I'm in have to come at the expense of my dignity? And... That's such a, a European... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> but like if, if I... And let's, we don't have to just talk about the N-word. Mm-hmm. Any slur of any kind, mm-hmm. uh, any epitaph that's used, why is it necessary to include that kind of language to be able to make a point. Okay. That, that see, I'm like on the fence. I can see both because again, I prefer, for example, I prefer like when it comes to like black history, I prefer us being taught before pre-slavery. Right. 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 But if it has to be taught, the context of what happened, I do believe is important. Mm. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. And let me try to make it not tough for you. Okay, okay. So with this 
whole argument is is grounded in the idea of human rights. Okay. And there's a case called um, it doesn't really matter what it is, but it's called Fraser versus Canada and the Attorney General. There's a long kind of to be frank, boring kind of fact pattern behind it. Okay. But it's the idea of substantive equality or equity, and what it's trying to say is that neutral policies or practices, things that apply to everyone. Yeah it still can have a detrimental impact on individuals. And you have to appreciate that even though you didn't intend for it to be Fair. neutral, I agree. I agree. it's going to have an impact on, on some people. Mm. And you have to understand that that impact doesn't have to happen to be, have to be from everyone within that, that group, mm-hmm. but you have to appreciate that some people will be impacted by it. You also have to appreciate that each group might have a historical context in which that policy or a neutral policy or practice won't understand. It 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 changes things for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have been the case that we grew up together, mm-hmm. but if we're from different backgrounds, I have a history yeah. that comes with a my pain. background. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. and this practice or policy speaks in a negative way to that history that I'm coming from. Why is it that we both have to have that policy applied in the same way True. when I'm the one who's affected uh, more negatively from it? Okay. So it's the idea that if we're in a classroom, we're all having to read this book and this practice is completely neutral because no one's hearing it in a different way. Everyone's getting the same story. Yeah. But it's the history that I'm coming with that uh, affects you differently. It affects me differently. Fair. And the idea that we want to live in a more equitable society has to consider that there are different ways people react to different things. Okay. And if we care at all about making sure that people are comfortable in the environment, especially in education, mm-hmm. we have to be more attuned to the fact that some people are going to be uncomfortable in a situation in a classroom where I'm saying the N-word. Mm-hmm. And if we care about, uh, and part of the Education Act is mm-hmm. ensuring that all students are able to um, feel safe and yeah. and well-being if we care about that if we really care about that we're going to take it seriously enough to say let's not have language that can make any child feel that way so maybe taking the books out some some schools have done that some schools have had policies where you can't say it Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's uh i don't know if you've ever heard of the book fahrenheit uh 11 i think it was that i can't remember it was a book that was like banned and there's a story about it being banned i think but it might be problematic to also ban books. See, that's what, that, that's the only thing. Uh, yeah. That's that's uh, the mindset that I was coming from. Like, if you ban these things or yeah. or kids are not learning certain things, then it's like, is it like erasing history almost? It's a hard. It's question hard. Right? It's yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But those are, and to be honest, I. I leave that kind of policy decision making to the like people who make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more invested in the arguments. Like, give me a side, and I'll fight on that side. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the arguments either which way. But like, yeah, I find it interesting to because I'm arguing one side, but I can go the other. Why you should be able to say it if yeah. I if I wanted to, and that's the interesting part about these legal issues to, to me uh-huh. in education because you have something to say about it. Everyone has some kind of value in their in the education system. You have a valuable perspective to give. Mm-hmm. Mostly because you went through it yourself. 100%. You, you know what it was like. You can put yourself and relate to it in the, the situation. So your opinion very much matters. Mm. So it's a very interesting... Um, it's interesting for me to speak to people about education issues because all these perspectives are very legitimate. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you um, deal with the discipline side of teachers and ECE workers. Yeah. How does that go? And how does it get to you? Yeah. And how does it get to that point? Yeah, well... So the cool thing is, when we're talking about students, yeah, 
kindergarten to grade 12 suspension and expulsion mm-hmm. talked about progressive discipline mitigating factors mm-hmm. we talked about undergrad students academic appeals progressive discipline mitigating factors these are about uh being disciplined for some breach of a code of conduct or yes. rules or whatever the case is when we're talking about professional regulation it's the same principles mm-hmm. so if a teacher is being disciplined it's the same way a student is being disciplined oh, for okay. the, the, broadly speaking the idea of being disciplined so for. in those cases are teachers coming to you to like some teachers do fight their rights that kind of thing or yeah so um when it comes to professional regulation it's because uh, some professions are have a regulatory body for okay. example the law society what does that mean sorry regulatory body yeah yeah, yeah. so uh there is basically uh a, an area of practice a profession mm-hmm. that uh, uh someone decided that this is a it's in the public interest to regulate the standards of these people who practice in this profession. Okay, okay. So the regulator sets out um, uh, your professional responsibilities that you owe the public mm-hmm. and perhaps rules of practice that you should follow for the same standard to be expected if you... Like if I'm going to a doctor, I need my doctor to meet some minimal thresholds, right? Mm-hmm. I need my lawyer to understand the basic stuff. So that's why you, have, you must have this level of education, all this stuff. So across the board... You can be confident that whatever professional you get in this province mm-hmm. comes uh, meets a certain standard. Okay. So when people fall below that standard, mm-hmm. the regulator then steps in and says, "Hey, we need to talk." Mm-hmm. Now, depending on the seriousness of the allegations, for example, it could be maybe you uh, got your books wrong and someone complained about uh, like an invoice or something. Mm-hmm. They'll look into it. Uh, maybe it was an error. Correct it. We're fine. Okay. But then you have people who are literally stealing money from their clients. And now it's a bigger issue than just a slap That's on the a wrist. Thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you're, when it comes to your professional regulator, in this case, teachers, you have the Ontario College of Teachers that says, we have some standards that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. And if you don't follow those standards, uh, or, or you're alleged to have not followed those standards, mm-hmm. we're going to investigate it. And then if we find against you, then you're going to get penalized for that. Oh, and by okay. the way, uh, when it comes to the Ontario College of Teachers, they have this thing called the Blue Books. Or, what is that? The blue books or the pink pages? One of those. It's a very cool... Uh, Almost like the, every offense in it there? T- it tells you whoever has been uh, basically alleged of a violation. and you'd Almost be surprised like an offender's how, list. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, legit. Legit. And it's a long list. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be surprised about how many things can, are going on. Can the public get of that? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can look online, I'm pretty sure. It publishes every uh, probably monthly. We, we have some high school teachers that might be in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, this is public because remember, it's in the public interest to protect the the public. You want to make sure the standards are at a certain level. When Jeez. people fall below that, you might not want that person practicing anymore. Like so you let them know register. that this person is is uh, yeah. All the professional <laughs> regulators will make a post about their um, the, whatever disciplinary decision has been made. Yeah. So when teachers come to me, and they don't always come to me first because they have a union, and oh, the, yeah, union, the union, yeah. yeah, the union sometimes or most often provides them with some counsel to support them. Mm-hmm. Not everyone trusts their union. Some people look for outside counsel and that's mm-hmm. their right. Mm-hmm. So some circumstances I am able to support people who uh, want a, a private practicing lawyer to, to assist them. Oh, yeah. makes sense. <laughs> There's a lot to this. Holy <laughs> smokes. Because it goes deep. It, it's, it's, man, what, the institution of education is huge. Yeah. I think uh, m- many of the different cities across... Um, the province, their largest employer is a school board. 
Mm, interesting. I think Peelboard is the highest uh, is the largest employer in, employer in um, Brampton and Mississauga. Oh, I think. Wow. Uh, in Hamilton, McMaster University is the largest employer in that city. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about institutions, uh, like I said, stakeholders, mm-hmm. you have the, the people that are teaching, you have the students, you it's have like the, the administrators, everyone's a part of it. Mm-hmm. So um, there's so many different issues when you think about it like that. Everyone mm-hmm. is going to have some rights yeah. and responsibilities. True. And when either of those become infringed, that's an issue of law. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So you also deal with bullying, right? So for example, let me know if it works like this. So I'm a, I'm a parent, and I, uh, my child is coming home to me, and they're like, I'm being bullied, da da da, da and I'm going to the principal, and um, let's say I don't think they're necessarily um, taking it as serious as my child's telling me. So then, do I contact you, or how does that work? How do you deal with bullying? Yeah, yeah. So. You have these large area of issues. Bullying is one of them. Okay. And my role is to figure out what's the outcome that you're looking for. So is it the case that you don't want him to, your, your child to be with a certain student? Do you need mm-hmm. a safety plan of some sort? Do we need to think about how to protect your child in that circumstance? Or is it more serious in that like damage has happened? Mm-hmm. Like my child has been harmed significantly to the point where I need some kind of remedy for this compensation, monetary, oh, non-monetary, wow. things like that. Jeez. Depending on what the outcome is that you're looking for, mm-hmm. it informs me of how I'm going to address it. Okay. So if we're talking about bullying, and there are some tragic cases of bullying, um, even in the past few years out of Hamilton, mm-hmm. that kid that got stabbed at school and passed I I, away. I think I heard about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that came from bullying. Yeah. Um, there is an interesting case a few years ago about a black student in Ottawa who um, had this group of friends. He was a mixed kid and the kids were other kids were white. Mm-hmm. Um, they were close by all means at, at, at first, but then they started to kind of taunt him, say some racist stuff towards him, yeah. and bully him uh, over the course of some time. He eventually snaps and says, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he knew what to do afterwards. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Cause, and let's say violence isn't always physical. True. There's verbal violence, mm-hmm. racial violence, yes. all these different types of things that don't necessarily impact you physically, mm-hmm. but that kid's health mentally mm-hmm. was substantially affected by mm-hmm. that the taunting, the saying the N word to him, things like mm-hmm. that. And that's where you come in. To make the arguments, of course. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't a part of that case, but this case um, illustrated the responsibility of the school. So the school had disciplined him for fighting back. Mm-hmm. But the mom, who was a boss, mm-hmm. she decided to sue the school for not looking after him. Mm-hmm. And it um, kind of fleshed out some of the legal issues that were there. And one of the legal issues, an important legal principle that I think everyone should remember, is that everyone... Uh, so when you have specific professions, of course, teachers in this particular circumstance, you owe a duty of care to a, a student. Mm-hmm. That means you have a obligation or responsibility towards them mm-hmm. in this case it was keeping them safe mm-hmm. now what's the standard of that care so how far do i have to go to make sure that they're safe okay the standard of care for a teacher in ontario is that of a reasonably prudent parent what does that even mean now when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to law the word yeah. reasonable is yeah, like yeah. everywhere what does that mean? and it's That's just like almost like that probable thing it's it's open to interpretation but the idea here is that uh, a reasonable parent would know when their child is is being bullied or mm-hmm. is not being the same or a little bit quiet or mm-hmm. 
I would go ask, what's wrong? Uh-huh. Are you okay? Did those kids do something to you? Mm-hmm. What did they do? Like, ask some questions. A reasonably prudent parent would have taken steps to figure out why this kid might have felt that way even before or after okay. he, he uh, like, fought back. Mm-hmm. So the case basically said they fell below their st- that standard. Mm-hmm. And so you were responsible for uh, the racial bullying mm-hmm. and for, basically, this kid fighting back. So... The case, it wasn't worth a lot of money, but the idea of it is that... compensation for it. A a few thousand dollars, but it was so much more uh, resources that were spent in the whole process that um, the money wasn't the significant thing. Mm -hmm. It was the decision. Mm -hmm. And the decision ultimately reminded that school and the schools in general about the standard and duty of care owed by a a teacher in the school. Mm -hmm. And that's to make sure, especially when it comes to bullying, that you are... You can't just turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. If you know a kid is like down, uh, like kind of sad, Same. noticeable changes, yeah, you're you have arguably a, a responsibility to inquire. What's because, going on? Of course, mm-hmm. because a reasonably prudent parent, a parent who um, is concerned about the safety of their child, would want to ask these obvious questions. Mm-hmm. And then after being informed of those answers, you take the necessary step because not every child is going to tell you what's wrong. Exactly. So that's uh, when it comes to bullying. You need to, that's one of the areas where you can, like, figure out what to do next. Is there some duty of care that was not provided there? Was, oh. was there kind of a, did it fall below standards? And again, when we talk about standards, we're thinking about the professional regulator. Mm-hmm. And when we're thinking about recourse, what you can do in that circumstance is maybe that teacher didn't meet their standards of, of care. Should the College of Teachers be informed about that? Then the college does an investigation. Mm-hmm. And then that teacher, at the very least, can know that I'm, I'm being looked at. Okay. I need to act better. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one form of recourse for parents. Another one, in bullying cases especially, is the idea that, especially when it comes to racial discrimination, uh, human rights, and it's different between like pushing a kid and saying ha-ha and then pushing a kid and saying the N-word. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that comes from probably home too. It, it Probably, like, who knows where it's coming from. Yeah. But that, it, it's a different level of escalation now. True. True. And how a school board deals with things like that has to be different from a regular push. Yes, absolutely. And when they don't deal with things like that, it might create an opportunity for recourse in the Human Rights Tribunal, for example. Mm-hmm. So my cases often look at what are the human rights allegations here? Mm-hmm. And are we able to establish a human rights argument for the tribunal mm-hmm. against the uh, school board generally? Okay, geez. So you also look or have cases with the accommodation of special needs what does that look like what are your cases look like there so just for the parents that do have uh children with special needs like they can kind of know what's going on what should uh what should like what i guess what should they hold the teacher's standards by or something like that yeah 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 Yeah. no accommodations is a big thing in the human rights tribunal it's usually a lot of accommodation related issues Mm -hmm. when it comes to school boards um so the idea of accommodations is that um and accommodations is a two-way street. It okay. basically focuses on, on disability. Mm-hmm. And disability is a very broad term underneath the human rights code. It, um, it can look a lot of different ways of disability. Mm-hmm. It could be physical, um, uh, mental, Learning emotional, disability. all these different yeah. things that uh, in the case law is pretty clear. It's broad. Okay. It really depends on what the circumstances are. But ideally, you should have some medical evidence of it as well. Mm-hmm. So the idea of accommodations is it's a two-way street. You have an obligation to tell me 
that you have a disability and that you need to be accommodated. Yes. And I have an obligation to make sure that that uh, that need is met. Mm-hmm. But I don't have an obligation to do whatever you are telling me to do to fulfill that accommodation. So if you're telling me, um, uh, Alex, I need more time on this test, I'm, give me two weeks to finish my, my test. Yeah. And you're saying it's, it's my... Um, anxiety that's yeah. preventing me from doing it and uh, i might not ask you to give me evidence of it but there's evidence of it if, if necessary yeah and i say two weeks is too long mm-hmm. maybe i'll give you a week mm-hmm. maybe that meets your accommodation needs mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. you would have to tell me whether or not it meets it or not yeah because it's a back and forth thing mm-hmm. if i'm telling you no two weeks is too much one week you ha- is what you have you have to give me evidence that that is not sufficient accommodations for me to come back and reevaluate and give you another accommodation. So when it comes to accommodation in schools generally, you have to appreciate that I have an obligation as the person who is claiming that right. Mm-hmm. And uh, my expectation is that the organization is going to fulfill my needs by providing me an accommodation that meets my needs. It doesn't have to look exactly like what it is I'm asking for okay but it has to support the Uh, needs um, that i'm asking for uh, that yeah that need to be met the needs that need to be met okay shoot so you got a lot of different cases on your table yeah yeah like i said diverse are you are you busy a lot of like obviously but like how busy are you um with these type of cases yeah yeah when it comes to busy it's not an issue of uh like volume okay and um i remember reading or seeing it somewhere but when you get too busy, for example, mm-hmm. you're doing one of two things wrong. Either you're not charging enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. <laughs> or you're doing a thing that no one else can do and everyone's coming to you. Mm. At which point you charge more anyway. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so um, when it comes to my practice, I don't necessarily have a high volume because it's such a niche yes. kind of thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to support um, with... Uh, people who are not well resourced uh, to a certain extent. Okay. But I have bills to pay as well, right? Yes, absolutely. And many times the cases I do take are contingency fee based, meaning. What does that mean? Yeah, so I'm able to support you, mm-hmm. uh, but a contingency fee arrangement is where uh, you're looking for some form of a monetary award. Okay. And I get a percentage of that award oh, if we're successful. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Um, sometimes I have a mixed arrangement where you have to pay a small fee initially. And monetary. Yeah, okay, uh, initially, uh, for me to maybe draft some documents, mm-hmm. but then I'll take on the contingency fee. Some lawyers do only uh, an hourly pay, so whenever I'm doing work for you, I'm charging you, I'm billing yeah. you as we go, basically. Yeah. Or they charge you a flat rate. Mm-hmm. And these may ha- may be a, a larger barrier to accessing legal services. Mm-hmm. So um, I try to be as... Um, kind of accessible as possible okay um understanding that i have a very niche practice that i I really can't provide a lot of people with services at this time i'd love to but um i have to be a lot more business oriented Mm -hmm. uh and figure out how do i efficiently do the business thing do the work i like and address the issues i want to in Mm -hmm. in the the system has that been a challenge for you it has a challenge in the sense that I knew what I was doing, so yes, it was challenging and let me stick to my plan and, and go through with it, mm-hmm. um, but not challenging in the sense that um, uh, I keep hitting barriers and I don't know what to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I never actually wanted to be a, a private practicing lawyer or an entrepreneur Yeah. Um, I was in law school, and like I mentioned, a lot of people in, in England, and by the way, we're in the center of London. 
um, like London proper mm-hmm. with the biggest law firms in the world. Like this yeah. is the center of almost the legal world in, in yeah, in, in the world. Literally. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the people there were interested in business law or this corporate law, mm-hmm. things that were very lucrative. Yeah. And a lot of people want to do private practice. And I, like I said, wanted to legal aid for a long time. Yeah. Um, I remember telling one of my friends at the time, uh, yeah, like legal aid has, uh, um, great benefits. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to, to work there. And I remember him laughing and saying benefits. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so taken aback because I've always been, uh, I'm from a family that does, uh, public service yeah like we like benefits is and it's especially a big thing. it's a big thing and especially mm-hmm. from a jamaican family i think working for the government in some capacity it's an honor it's, it's an honor yeah, it's, it's something honor. highly yeah. looked upon yeah so never did it come across my mind like let me open my own practice it was mm-hmm. always how do i do public service in some way mm-hmm. and until that experience i realized the different opportunities that came with law because mm-hmm. people were talking about opening their own practice or joining a business and things mm-hmm. like that so um yeah, when it, when it comes to this business now, um, I'm realizing it's a lot more fun to now be able to do things that typically weren't done before. True. I think there's always a limitation. You're like leading the way. Like you're opening a path. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so my first experience with that personal injury law firm, I thought this is what all private practicing lawyers were like. Yeah. All private businesses, legal businesses were like. And I realized, no, that's just how they did it. Mm. And there's nothing preventing me from doing it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And one of the important things about my business is I want it to be a social enterprise, Mm -hmm. meaning uh, I want to be able to make a profit and and be able to uh, earn a living. Yeah. But I want to be able to contribute socially as well. How do I do work? Yeah. How Mm -hmm. do I do work that not only benefits me, but how does it give back in some way? Mm -hmm. And that's really... um, the middle ground I was able like to pers- achieve. Purposeful work. Purposeful work, 100%. 100% yeah. And on my terms as well. Mm-hmm. And that was the important thing about not uh, doing legal aid to me, mm-hmm. doing the exact kind of work I wanted, um, but also not uh, kind of entering this more corporate, like private, typical legal world where it's um, a little bit more cold and not necessarily addressing the issues that yes. I would want to be addressing. Okay. So it's this kind of merging of the middle grounds for me. Okay, that's yeah. what's up. So, when it's all said and done, what type of impact do you want to leave? Yeah, um, I don't think... So, I understand very well that I'm not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. But I want to be able to create something that's going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. And what ideally I would love to see in terms of what I'm building is it's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to leave this and let it run. Mm-hmm. Um I think that there's a huge gap in education services, education law services, especially from the holistic lens that I'm trying to take it from. Mm-hmm. You have lawyers that work with the um, with the school boards or the institutions who have their interests at mind. Mm-hmm. You have lawyers who sometimes take on cases for individuals against these big institutions. Mm-hmm. But I want to be able to say, I do both. Mm-hmm. And that's a benefit to you, regardless of what yeah. side you're on. Yeah, you because, just want to get it right. Yeah, and 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 it's one thing we have to appreciate as well is being right isn't always the goal. Or so I guess what I mean is, um, not everyone's ha- not being right, and not necessarily everyone 
this everyone coexisting within this a space. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I'm yeah, thinking. yeah. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I don't think many people appreciate this, but uh, especially when it. The idea that you can win in very like highly emotionally charged situations mm-hmm. is not a good perspective to look at because yeah you might win mm-hmm. but at the expense of the breakdown of the relationship between you and the other party yeah ideally schools are gonna see the same parent who has a grievance with you mm-hmm. for the next what ten years the yeah. kid is is in the school board yeah why do you want to break down that relationship for a win mm-hmm. and. My perspective is, especially when I'm working with either party, is to help them appreciate winning mm-hmm. isn't you kind of, it's not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. One person doesn't have to lose. Mm-hmm. How do we work towards an outcome in the best interest of everyone, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like? Mm-hmm. And I necessarily think that has you have to appreciate both parties' perspective. Mm. And so my point is an organization that only works with, uh, sorry, a legal law firm or lawyers that only work with organizations aren't going to have the perspective of the parents. True. And the parent, the lawyers who work with parents individually might not have that perspective of the organization. So having that holistic kind of um, organization that can be consulted for issues that you don't want to break down relationships, but you want to find a solution. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to create. And that's the legacy I think I want to leave behind mm. so that you can tap into this this organization that gets you to this outcome that doesn't have a zero sum in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's so important that you said that you can work on either side. I don't really hear that much. Yeah. And to some extent, lawyers are prohibited from... Uh, it's called it's called a conflict of interest. Oh, true. So that makes sense. for okay. example, if I'm representing a client, mm-hmm. uh, an individual as parent or mm-hmm. student... I can't be on the other side of the table as well. Yeah, okay. Sure. In that same issue. Mm-hmm. Now, some, uh, broadly speaking, organizations probably won't take me just because I've... Been on the other side I've before. I've been on the other side before, yeah. Interesting. It, it might be the case that, like, uh, you, we know, like, we're, we're just not comfortable in working with you, or maybe you are going to ca- take more cases mm-hmm. against us. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's a very um, rational perspective. Um, I have an obligation to act in the complete interest of my client Mm -hmm. and sometimes i might i don't want to put myself in a situation where i can't act in the complete interest Mm -hmm. because if i'm thinking about how this impacts this other party and Mm -hmm. want to mitigate some of that loss for the other party Mm -hmm. i'm not acting uh and and there's a term for it i can't remember what it is immediately but um i'm not acting to the best ability for my client Uh so that's the challenge uh in theory i would face but I don't think it takes away from the fact that, and, and this is the strategy I've done, I work with some school boards mm-hmm. and I don't work with others. Why? Uh, for example, it's a lot more common for me to have people in my surrounding era who tap into me mm-hmm. to support them with the local school boards. Okay, makes sense. So working with those school boards might not be practical because there's so many people who uh, are in my community that need my support. Mm. So I don't want to conflict myself out of that. Okay. But there are more further school boards where I don't know the people in those communities. Mm-hmm. They might not know me. Mm-hmm. But those school boards could benefit from someone like me with those perspective of the, the family perspective. So I can now advise you on how to better deal with some of these issues you're facing. Mm. So it, it's more of a location thing now. Like, where am I drawing the line about who yeah. I'm helping? Yeah. So I'm, I'm creating that kind of barrier. So you have a map out there and say, I'm going to take over this area. <laughs> I, I have a list of school boards I can't work with. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So 
we have two questions that we will ask every guest on the show. And um, the first one is, um, what is the best advice that you've gotten? And what is the worst advice you've gotten? And you don't got to say any names, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best advice I've gotten? Um, yeah, I was, was going to say, I was, I was just about to say, I don't know if I take everyone's advice. Uh, I take pieces of it. And then I realized that was advice that I got. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah, so the advice is everyone is going to have their own perspective on everything. Someone's going to tell them this is tell you this is how I did it. Mm-hmm. And there legitimately might have that that pathway, that blueprint might have worked for them. For their experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the value of you being able to speak to to someone and, and learn from them is not in taking exactly what they did, mm-hmm. but to take from it what you need, what you, what you can apply to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it it's what I look when I read all these books about um, some of the books I, I, I mentioned tonight, it wasn't about uh, taking everything that they have. Like step by step. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. It's those little pieces that did stick with me mm-hmm. where I see some application. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love the Robert Green books. Yeah, he's, uh, I like him too. Yeah, yeah, I like him. He understands that it's not like a end-to-end read. Exactly. You step back in when you need it exactly. to, to look into it, right? Mm-hmm. So that for sure is the best advice I've ever heard Um just be able to to borrow what you need, take what you can, and uh, apply it when you need it. So, the worst advice, uh, yeah, uh, the worst advice, uh, yeah. What I will say is that sometimes uh, your loved ones yes. want to be able to look out for you in your best interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, in doing so, they put their a lot of their limitations yeah, on you as well. Insecurities. Not even, yeah, insecurity is a part of it, but also wanting to, rather than see you um, go for it all and, and, and fail, mm-hmm. they'd rather you like, aim a little bit lower so you can Play succeed. Fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess a bit of uh, some bad advice would have been uh, to, and I'm, I'm more paraphrasing and kind of reducing it, but um, uh, basically, don't go for it all mm-hmm. with the potential of you failing mm-hmm. go for the safe bet and guarantee your your success mm-hmm. uh that's not the exact words but my point is uh i don't want to have those limitations placed on me just because you don't see the vision i see mm-hmm. or you don't know what i'm capable of exactly so yeah okay okay and uh on the show we like to make predictions so on uh in uh five years i'm like Alex, he, he said he was gonna do that <laughs> and we have it on camera right so yeah, yeah, yeah. uh where do you see yourself in five years yeah five years i i'm right now trying to figure out how to how to grow how do i take this from me and i have a small team with me right now how many uh, i have my law student shout out to martin mm-hmm. um uh, Jennifer, she's my social media manager. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, my small team is made up just of them, but they do so much on the behind the scenes mm-hmm. that uh, make me do do what I can do mm-hmm. today. Frees up a lot of my time, um, but I want to be able to expand and not only get bigger for a lot of it, of course, my selfish reasons, but to be able to give the services and create the change that I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to step into and. Months to come, you'll see some of the moves, but uh, working with some other people, a part of my organization to provide civil litigation. Okay. Uh, I don't do civil litigation right now, but a lot of education law issues mm-hmm. could lend itself to like a court battle with lawyers with lawyers from the school board or whoever. Okay. So some civil litigation cases might come up because of who I might be working with soon. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I want to take that 
a broader scope of that. Again, education has so many different layers to it. Yes. Uh, when we talk about uh, school boards, mm-hmm. real estate is a whole thing in school boards as well. Interesting. They have to figure out where the, the zoning, zoning, where they're going to yeah, place yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it's being able to tap into these different areas that I don't practice. Yeah, but you can, but you can, can have a person there. Exactly. Uh, so that's when you're a beast. <laughs> it, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I'm aiming for. And uh, uh, five years from now, I think it can happen. But right now, I'm only able to practice Ontario. Okay. But... There's no one else doing what I'm doing across the country, I'm sure. And I want to be able to nationalize and be like, that, like that's the law firm that like deals you with own education. That. That's right. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. okay, dope. So let everybody know where they can contact you um, just in case someone hears us. Like, yeah, I need to talk to that guy. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, you can reach me at uh, my website, www.baticlegal.ca. Hit me up on email at alex at baticlegal.ca or reach me directly on my phone line, 905-872-3222. But you know what? They might be able to look that up, but I'm going to give you something where you can refer to it right away. Yeah. So uh, uh, thank you. I got you. Uh, of course, my favorite beverage, by the way. <laughs> thank We're you. We're gonna thank have you. to take a sip afterwards. Thank you. Should I open it now? Or? Yeah, open up. Open right, up. Open it. it. Yeah, I let you. Uh, got you some pens on there where you uh, yeah. can see the name and the number and some cards Write for your the reference. Magic plans down. Thank you. Yes, sir. And also, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I do want to talk like off camera, like how you can you start to create your content because you yeah, yeah, even yeah. you mentioned you have a social media manager. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And even I can give you guys ideas on how to create endless content. Oh yeah, honestly, because I feel like if you There's start a hack to, for it already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you can uh, get your voice out there to like the social media world, yeah. you'll start to see a big, big difference. Okay, okay. Jeez. <laughs> This is, a, this is a little sweet wine, but <laughs> I like juice, basically. And that's uh, some juice with a little bit of alcohol in it. Okay, basically. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate it. it. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yes, sir. All right.